welcome to How Things Connect, where we get personal and planetary. Get ready to expand your consciousness with healing insight and evolutionary wisdom. It is my pleasure today to welcome as my guest, Rishi Chirananda. Rishi has spent the latter part of his life as a monk studying the philosophical traditions of India and gaining deep insights into their hidden meaning and timeless practices that are particularly relevant today. Before his initiation, Rishi was a successful investment banker and entrepreneur, and he uses that experience to articulate the ancient philosophical teachings of India in a meaningful way for a modern audience that bridges East and West. He is also a teacher of meditation and chanting, serves tea to the homeless on weekends in New York and other cities, and holds free meditation gatherings in public spaces. Welcome, Rishi. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. What you do is such a beautiful expression of love, humility, and devotion. And what you're offering right now is so, um, so important, especially for people who are facing enormous challenges in this confusing and sometimes chaotic world that we're in at the moment. And um, I feel like your calling and your path that you're walking right now has come in perfect divine timing for where we are on the planet. And I would love to hear from you how you started this journey from being in business to walk a spiritual path. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, I took a definitely an interesting journey. I would say it was <laughs> a journey uh, that most monks usually take. Uh, for me, that even though I have, my skin is brown and obviously you see me as, as Indian, um, and I was born in India, I spent the majority of my life in the States. And so when I was in the States, um, I very much shunned my culture. You know, I think growing up uh, with an Asian background, of course, you know, you, you want to try and fit in. You want to try and, um, and be able to interact with others that are more Western. And so it's typical for the younger generation to sort of uh, uh, put away all of the, 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 uh, the Eastern uh, practices and, and try to fit in so we can make friends. And, and I would have to say, I followed that same line. I very much gave up all of the things, um, all of these different traditions. And I, I very much focused on the material things. So I went to school and I, I wanted to have friends and I played sports and I, I did well in school. And, you know, coming out of the university, I, I got a job at an investment banking firm doing mergers and acquisitions. And at the age of 21, I was making more money, I would say, than 99% of the population in, in the States. And um, my focus was, was on acquiring more. Right. And I think when we are very much in the material world, uh, it's always about how do I get more and more and more. And because I didn't have a spiritual uh, background, I didn't have something spiritual in my life, um, I very much turned towards the world. So there's a beautiful saying that uh, at the end of the day, you can win the rat race, but you're still a rat. Right. And so I was trying to win the rat race, not understanding that I was still a rat in this mm -hmm. game we call life. And, um, and I became successful um, by all terms of how we would measure success from the material standpoint. I, I would say that I checked all of the boxes. I had a very uh, good job. I had a wonderful girlfriend that I was dating for many years. Uh, everything was very, 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 very successful. 
And at some point around the age of 25, I um, was dating my girlfriend for about seven years at that time. And I had this feeling that I have to get married. Uh, it's something that was like extremely strong. And I am like, I have to do this. I have to get married. So I went to the um, jewelry store, I bought a ring. I went and I proposed and uh, she said, yes. And this moment is supposed to be a very happy moment uh, where we're sort of satisfied, we sort of reached the peak. And this is what the Western media tells us, right? get married, you'll find happiness. But in that moment, I couldn't help but feeling somewhat sad, feeling somewhat empty. And I couldn't explain what that reason was. As we started to get closer and closer to the wedding, that feeling started to get stronger and stronger. At some point, right before the wedding, we had a conversation together, we sat down. And I was gonna express the way that I was feeling. And at this point, my uh, fiance at the time looks at me and says, I have to tell you something. If you stay with me, we'll have children. We'll have a nice house. We'll have a minivan. Things will be fine. Things will work out, but you'll never be happy. And, I, and it was almost like somebody else oh, wow. other than her was speaking. It was like mm -hmm. a spirit was speaking to her. She said, if you stay with me, we'll have all of these things, but you will never be happy. You're meant to do something different in this world. You're not meant to stay here with me. And it was like, it was a very like shocking moment. And uh, mm -hmm. in that moment, we just decided, okay, let's take a break. So we canceled the wedding. Uh, we took a break. And at this point, I still didn't have spirituality in my life. So I sort of turned towards the world and I started partying more. I started drinking more. I started doing drugs more. I started doing all types of things, um, just trying to find, fulfill this emptiness that I was feeling inside. At this point, um, a cousin of mine came from India and he saw that how I was living. And he said, um, you have to change. Uh, if you don't, it's not going to end up good for you. So I said, what, what should I do? And he said, read this book. And he gave a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. And I said, okay, so I read the entire book. I read it in a matter of like five days. And the book had a profound impact on me. Mm -hmm. And for some reason afterwards, I would go to the bars, I would go to the clubs, but I just did not find any type of joy. Right? It was just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And it was almost like a social pressure, like, okay, I'll do it because my friends tell me, but I wasn't finding any type of like that happiness inside. Um, and so in this moment, I actually would go out, but then I would come back and I had no idea how to meditate, but I would just sit by myself, close my eyes and I would just be at peace. I would just, I would enjoy that more than going out with my friends. And I couldn't understand what was going on. It said the, the heart starts to awaken, but the mind takes some time to catch up. <laughs> so a lot of times when we go on our spiritual path, our heart starts to feel something. We start to, start to question this reality, but our mind is still not caught up to what the heart is opening up to. So it takes a little bit of time to um, correlate the two. And so I was feeling these feelings, but I had no idea why and what was going on. 
if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me so much what you're saying of what happened with me when I left the banking world. This was more than 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. I literally had not exactly like that because I wasn't engaged and my fiance didn't say that to me. That was channeled divinity mm -hmm. right there, right? But it came very strongly in dreams. It came very strongly by my dreaming that every night I was getting shot in the heart and I wow. would wake up. This was a recurring thing that happened. I was already feeling a great deal of dissatisfaction, even though, like you said, I was also at the top of um, my profession at the time, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, earning you know, a good amount of money, et cetera, and getting all these accolades, but it was not satisfying. And I started to not be able to go out to parties. I would just, I would just be like, I'd rather sit at home and read a book and read mm -hmm. a spiritual book actually is what I always spent my time doing then. And um, that dream of getting shot in the heart to me was very much a message of what it means when we follow, or at that time when I was purely following the pathway of, a, of what others deemed as success or the mm -hmm. way to be happy or the way to live versus mm -hmm. how my heart was breaking my heart was actually dying because it was not in alignment with what i was doing or how mm -hmm. i was approaching life because it simply wasn't my path absolutely so, yeah please go ahead yes no it's spot on those are exactly the same feelings that i were i was feeling at this time and so because i had these feelings i kind of knew that i had to i had to just separate myself from that particular reality that I was living in to understand what is going on with me. Why am I feeling this way? So I decided to take a trip around the world. And at the time I had taken my GMATs and uh, I had pretty much got into a top five Ivy League school. So I, I was very, it was very easy going for me. I, there was not mm -hmm. too much pressure. And I wanted to go and uh, travel for a few weeks to a month and uh, just go around wanted to go to India as well as to Europe and I remember the last night that I was here I was with my friends in the bar and I told them hey tomorrow I'm going for three weeks or to a month to travel and they all started to laugh and they said uh -huh, no you're gonna get tired of it you're gonna get sick of it you're gonna come back I said maybe and the next day as I was leaving I told my mother that I'm going to be traveling for a few weeks and she looked at me and she started to cry. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, I don't know. I feel like I'm not going to see you for a very long time. And so the mother's intuition always wow. knows. And uh, I said, no, no, you know, what are you talking about? I'll be back soon. <laughs> so I get on the plane and I arrive in India. And I arrived in a small town called Rishikesh. And, you know, I wasn't spiritual by any chance, by any means, but I loved the Himalayan mountains. It was something that was very me too. beautiful. Me too. Something always sort of drew, drew me to it. So I was sort of in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, just spending some time. And at this point, I went to the, to the river and I looked at the river and I said, if there's divinity, if there's a God, why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel so empty? Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a sincere call from my heart. 
and the next day, and I was staying in a place which was very, very, um, it was like um, secluded and it was not a tourist time. So there's nobody really there. So the next day there was a, a monk that was sort of dressed like me and he was staying in the same place that I was. And three months earlier, his teacher, spiritual teacher, had told him, go to this place on this day and wait there because something is going to happen. And he was from South Africa. So he took a flight and he was just waiting there, following the orders of his teacher, not understanding what or why he was there. <laughs> and so I and we sit on a bench and we start talking. And I said, who are you? What are you? And he starts to explain what it means to be a monk. What is that path? And then he starts to talk about his spiritual teacher. And he says, I have a teacher named Paramahamsa Swami Vishwananda. And he goes on to say that uh, he's a teacher of Kriya Yoga. He comes from the, uh, yoga, the lineage of Mahavatar Babaji. And as he started to say this, it, it took me back to the book, Autobiography of a Yogi. It's Paramahamsa Yogananda. It's yes. also the Kriya Yoga lineage. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge coincidence there that how, how this could happen. And I, I was like, okay, and, and who is, like, where is he? How, how can I meet him? And he said, well, he'll be here in 20 days for something called the Maha Kumbh Mela, which happens every 144 years. So it was the same um, event that was spoken about in the autobiography of a yogi 100 years prior. And I found myself 20 days from this event that happens every 144 years. So the reason of getting wanting to get married, everything that happened was all pushing me to this moment in my life where I found myself in this amazing event that was once in a lifetime. And, you know, for those of you listening, for those listening to the podcast, the Kumamela is, is a moment in time where it says if you take a dip in the water, uh, there's a certain planetary alignment and there's a certain energy that is created that fast forwards us on the spiritual journey. So great saints from all around the world would come to take a dip in that particular moment in time in the Kumbhamela. And so his teacher, Parmahamsa Swami Vishwananda, was coming for this event. So I said, okay, I canceled the rest of my trip. I wanna meet him. I wanna know who this person is. So the next 20 days, I canceled my trip to Europe and we just hung out. And he told me all about the spiritual path. He initiated me into Kriya Yoga and I would start to do the Kriya Yogas and I would literally be in meditation for five, six hours, like not moving. And he wasn't sure like what was going on with me. So he texted his teacher and he said, you know, there's this person and he's initiated into Kriya and he's sitting there for hours and hours. Don't know what's going on with him. Is he okay? And my teacher said, uh, let him be. He's been practicing Kriya Yoga for hundreds of years and it's just reloading inside of him. And so, you know, it was a beautiful moment. Of course, now I'm not sitting for six hours a day doing Kriyas, but at that time it was a, a process of reloading that was going on inside. Mm -hmm. And so finally the 20 days came by and uh, he arrived and I said, I have to meet him. So he arrived in a small town a little bit further away from where I, we were staying. And so we go to his place in the middle of the night and I see him and he looks at me and he says, what do you want with life? And I says, and I said, I, I want to be happy. 
And he smiled and he said, don't worry, you will be happy. And he says, spend the next 20 days with me as we celebrate this Kumbh Mela event. And I said, sure. So I canceled the rest of my trip and I just spent 20 days with him. And when you're in the presence of a realized being, when you're in presence of a saint, it's not necessarily the words that they say, but it's the vibration that they give. And that vibration is just, it's just all love, right? Because they made that journey from the mind to the heart. And so everything is only love. And when you're in that state, it's almost like, imagine there's a cold winter storm and there's a fire that is being lit. And when you stand around the fire, you feel the warmth. And for a moment, you uh, escape the cold. In the same way, when you're around a spiritually realized being, you escape the material reality for some time and you spend uh, when you're in their presence and you're just surrounded by the fire of love. And ultimately, you have to do your own work and start your own fire in the future. Mm -hmm. But in the, in, the, in the early days where you're still learning to create the fire, it's uh, suggested that you spend time around somebody that already is in that state, mm -hmm. right? that keeps you warm until you learn yourself. And so I spent this time with him and it was such an amazing experience, such an amazing time. And after it was done, I asked him, what do I do now? Should I go back to the States? And he said, well, why don't you come and spend some time with me in my ashram? And so he has an ashram in, in Germany near Frankfurt. You, you spent some time in Germany, yeah? Or no? I mean, I've been to Frankfurt, but that's oh. not where I spent a lot of time, no. Okay. <laughs> that's, now how, that's not the Julian connection. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Julian is the one that lives near uh, Frankfurt. So I spent, uh, so I went there <clears throat> and his main mission is to um, bridge the gap between the East and the West to understand mm -hmm. that it's only because we have so many divides, we have so many separations and the, um, the ashram is in Frank near Frankfurt about 40 minutes and ironically Frankfurt has the most international connections in the world right? it connects the east and the west it's in the same way the ashram is in that space and it has thousands of people that come um, all of the time traveling back and forth and so he said why don't you come and spend some time at the ashram you know, get to know the the space and because I was really asking him a lot of questions about the spiritual path, right? What is happening? What is the Gita? What is uh, Hinduism? What is, um, so it's referred to also as Sanatana Dharma, the eternal path. So he said, come and spend some time. So I said, sure. So I caught a plane directly from India after the Kumbh Mela was finished and went to uh, Germany. And I was in Germany for about three, four weeks uh, and I was only supposed to be there for a little while and then catch it, uh, fly back to, to, the, to, to the States. And as I was there, I started to go deeper into the teachings of the Gita. I started to go deeper into the spiritual path and it just started to resonate with me. It was something that I really enjoyed learning about. I enjoyed being around the people. Uh, so this is called Sangha, our community. I feel like I felt, I felt like I found my community for the first time. Because, you know, of course, being in the material world, many people are focused on the material aspects. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we long to have a spiritual community. We long to connect with others that can share and understand um, 
the things that we're going through, right? Things mm-hmm. that can't be explained, let's say, just by material things. And so I felt like I found this community where I can finally sort of express a lot of the things that I was feeling. And so I really enjoyed it. And I spent about three, four weeks there. And then once the time was up, I uh, asked uh, my teacher, can I stay a little bit longer? He said, sure. So then I moved it to three months. After three months, I stayed for six months. After six months, it was one year. After one year, it was two, three, four. Next thing I knew, I was there for seven years. And I never- still talking to your mother though? I was, I was, yeah. (laughs) Seven years, but I never went uh, to uh, to the States. Wow. My mother, uh, I did speak to her, but after only, after a few months of being in Germany, and of course, you know, um, I'm, I'm an only child. And so for her, it was extremely difficult, difficult yeah. that I had to go on the path. But after some time, um, she herself started to change. She would come and visit the ashram. She would, she transformed. She started to do meditations. And, and so everything worked out wonderfully, but it just took a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, that you actually brought up two things that are really important. And thank you, first of all, for sharing that, that sure. beautiful, beautiful journey of such poignant and powerful moments in your life. It's really interesting because when we actually start our path to transformation, everybody around us is affected. One doesn't have to do any preaching. You don't have to do any of that because when we start to embody the actual shifts in ourselves that reverberates through to our energetic connections, whether it's with friend, loved ones, friends, loved ones, or family members. And it happens very organically. If there is a true shift, and that is, is you know, you just described it beautifully. And the second thing you said, I think is, is so important is that, you know, for you it was so important because when you're leaving that container that it was your universe that material world of business of success and by the way nothing wrong with that at all it just wasn't resonating with you anymore and you had to find what actually did so you become the odd person out suddenly Mm -hmm. you can't really relate to the others and you need to then find um, a community and a group that actually can support you in this journey not only guide you and for you to receive um, lessons and wisdom and teaching, but also just to be in in brotherhood, in sisterhood, yeah. in that fraternity, etc. And that community and that support is incredibly important, especially in the early days of transitioning and of of sort of transformation. Absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, mm-hmm. It's we refer to this in Sanskrit. It's called sangha or community, mm-hmm. and community is hugely important mm-hmm. because it's said if you hang around with uh, people that smoke um, long enough, you'll become a smoker. If you hang around with saints long enough, you'll become a saint. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it's about choosing the company that you keep, and that Absolutely. will give you more strength to walk your mm-hmm. spiritual path. Also, another thing that I wanted to just say is, um, you know, on the spiritual path, it says that we come across three obstacles. Mm-hmm. The first obstacle is an obstacle of love. And so even though, let's say, our families, 
they they want the best for us. They do love us. Maybe um, they might not understand what we are going through. And so it said the best way to overcome this obstacle is through love. So the obstacle of love is uh, overcome by love. And so in that way, it's not about being angry at them. It's not about saying, oh, you don't know what I'm feeling and, and denying it or, 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 um, or, or expressing frustration. But it's about saying, I appreciate what you are saying to me. I appreciate uh, that you care for me and I love you, but please let me, allow me to walk my path. So when you have, when you approach love with love, then you can overcome that first obstacle. But uh, if we try and go into that state of frustration and try and convince those people around us that no, 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 you're wrong, uh, then not only will it be difficult for us to move forward, we're also not helping them on their own spiritual path. So the second Absolutely. obstacle, yes. Yeah, so the second obstacle is said the obstacles of our karma. So when we start to go on the spiritual path, it's not that everything becomes fine, right? It's not like uh, life just turns rosy and we're just flying high. As we go on the spiritual path, we still have to face our obstacles. We still have to face our karmic patterns, our karmic knots, our things that we must go through to transform ourselves. And so that second obstacle that is presented through our past karmas, it said you can overcome through scripture and community. So by studying various scriptures, such as the Bhagavad Gita, surrounding yourself with others, it'll give you the strength to overcome the karmic knots that we must, we must all face, even if we're on the spiritual path. Now, the third obstacle, it said, is that final obstacle that, imped that is the impediment to the realization of yourself. And this obstacle is said comes from the source itself, comes from the divine itself. So it's that final test. How badly do you want to realize yourself? And so for this, it's said that final test, that obstacle comes in the surrender to the divine. So that complete surrender to the flow of life, to the supreme consciousness. And through that complete and final surrender, we realize the true nature of who we are. So we all go through these three obstacles on the spiritual path, and we must use different tools to help us to overcome them as we, uh, uh, as we um, uh, find them and interact with them. Beautifully said, Rishi. And just to echo on those three um, obstacles, a lot of times our loved ones, yes, they do come from, more often than not, they really do come from a place of love. But what happens is, like you said, it, you know, and another way of saying it is sometimes they're projecting their own fears onto you, um, onto us. And because they are afraid for us, because they are not quite connecting with where you've kind of broken out of. And then there's also the fear of you leaving the tribe as well. It's, you know, and, but this is, this is at the same time, such an important part of life. And each of us have our hero's journey to make. And we've had this discussion on Clubhouse a lot about the hero's journey and what it means, which is to initially, you're part of the tribe, and then you realize you come to a calling to go to call a call to adventure, as they say, and you start your own path. And then you meet challenges, obstacles, etc. 
you gain wisdom, you, it's just a lot of up and down, ups and downs, but ultimately it is a path to realize ourselves and return and make it a full cycle of actually being able to then, now that you've embodied this new wisdom, this new learning, you can share it with the world, you can share it with your family. And it's a gift that then you can bring back to everyone. And then they also, if they haven't already, get to take their journeys if they haven't started that. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, it's so beautiful. And I love how you said to use love instead mm -hmm. of ego in order to actually walk the path that we're talking about. The embodiment is very important. The actual practice of it is actually being it. And there is something, this transformational power of the heart, of love, and when you communicate from that space it's it dissolves and it opens up literally another portal that communicates far beyond just the language and beyond the words then you become part of the energy that wants to come through that's divine that then the other person without having to go through any cognition and any obstacles and impediments in their mind because some idea may be repugnant to them or they don't agree with something you actually reach them in such a direct way because it's a heart to heart. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to someone? Because in your case, like everybody has their own spiritual path to take. Mm -hmm. Not everybody takes a path through Hinduism or a path mm -hmm. through any other spiritual um, discipline, let's say. How would you say then, um, then that for someone who's, dissatisfied with their life, realizes, wait, there's something more. How do they then find their purpose? And mm -hmm. which is the, the, what would you suggest for them to go, how to go about it? Yeah, you know, I think there's a beautiful, so Hinduism is a, is a religion that mm -hmm. I think um, that aspect, that word Hinduism was brought by the colonialists about four or 500 years ago. Before that, it was actually called Sanatana Dharma or the eternal path. So within Sanatana Dharma, there's something called the Vedas. And in the Vedas, there's a saying that says the truth is one, but the wise describe it in many ways. Mm -hmm. So the truth is one, but the wise describe it in many ways. So ultimately, we're all longing for that truth inside of us. Right? Everybody, every single soul in this universe is longing for that truth, to understand that truth. For some, that longing is unbearable and it sort of breaks free through the material world. And we start to question reality. We start to question what is happening and we start to go on our journey. Mm -hmm. For others, that longing is not necessarily um, outward expressed. Right. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're happy with their life. They're happy with... Mm -hmm other things, how things are going, and that's fine, right? So for some, it's okay to enjoy the material world. For others, it becomes unbearable. They're longing to find something more, even though they might have everything that's successful. So each soul is on their own evolutionary journey and cycle. Mm -hmm. So for those longing, there are many, many ways to that truth, because truth in Sanskrit is called sat. And sat is a vibration. So once you feel it, you understand it to be something that you've already known, not something new, but mm -hmm. something that you've already known inside of you. That is a just remembrance. 
Absolutely. a remembrance exactly and so that remembrance is not necessarily tied to any path or scripture or religion but it's tied to the ultimate understanding of this reality and so in that way i would say take that path sincerely go inside of yourself and say i want to learn about sat. I want to learn about mm -hmm. truth. I want to learn about my way. Who am I? And that sincerity will send a vibration into the world that will bring certain things to you that will help you to go on the path. And so, you know, for me, that was a book. I had mm -hmm. gotten a book autobiography of a yogi. Uh, for me, it was meeting my teacher in India. But mm -hmm. for everybody, it's different. Absolutely. But the one thing that I had that made it all possible is that I sincerely started to question and I asked within myself, what is the purpose of this life? It was a sincere inner question, which then made a catalyst of events that allowed me to access the truth in a particular way. So I would say one, be sincere and ask within yourself, how can I understand more about who I am? And then be open to receiving things doesn't have to mm -hmm. be one specific tradition or religion that will help you and mm -hmm. then just see within yourself does it resonate with me right mm -hmm. doesn't resonate with something that i know already deep inside of me and if it does then go deeper if it doesn't then keep searching something else will come and also understand that sometimes something might come for a particular moment in time mm -hmm. to help you to progress through one particular state journey and then maybe after that, you let that go and then you go to the next and the next yes. and the next. That's also important. That journey could be evolutionary. So for example, even something as, you know, we talked about The Alchemist, which mm -hmm. is a huge book for, that changed many people's lives. And it also changed mine. And I used it as a way to progress. But then I knew, okay, now let me go to something else and to right. something mm -hmm. And so in that way, don't necessarily feel like I have to find this one thing that I have to do my whole life, but see how things come to you, see how you can apply them. And then also understand and be open to other things coming to your life that can just help you to continue to progress on this eternal path. Thank you, Rishi. And I have to say that it, the same thing happened to me in terms of, you know, having for you it was a book for me it was a book as well it was actually um brian weiss's book called um only love is real mm. and from that point on suddenly somebody would recommend a class somebody else would recommend another book and the next book was the tibetan book of the tibetan book of living and dying then there was another one and another and another and it is absolutely true when we ask sincerely, when we actually truly question and truly um, want um, to find out and to discover what it is that what life is and what our purpose is or whatever the question is that you're posing, um, they, that everything does show up. So whether it's people, events, teachers, and they also change. So over the course of time, like for me, it was the same thing. It wasn't so much a discipline like for you. It was very much book, class, person, person, <laughs> and then said, okay, now you have to leave this country. Now you're going to go to here and now you're going to do this. And then, okay, now we're going to do that. And it was never one discipline 
And, um, but the beauty of it was that it actually absolutely showed that it doesn't matter whether it's traditional religion, um, some more, um, you would call new age traditions mm -hmm. or ancient traditions that are more indigenous, that are being reignited, rediscovered. It really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it is what resonates with us in our inner knowing that is a really great um, navigation device, I would say, for us. And that then allows us to really kind of hone in on what is it that we, you know, what is it that is aligned with our vibration? And one of the things you said is, is so, you know, um, the things that you said that was so important was how really everyone is unique mm -hmm. and there's no one size fits all. There is a wisdom that can be told in many stories in many ways. However, we are all uniquely our own beautiful vibration in this world. And that's actually what makes it interesting. That's what makes it, you know, an incredible dynamic planet that we live on. And so um, far from actually, um, oftentimes, unfortunately, we see people harping on differences as a way to divide, as a way to disengage, as a way to cause foment, you know, discord. It's actually, to me, such an amazing way to behold what a beautiful fabric our world is woven of. And it's all these different fibers. It's what it's amazing. Absolutely. You know, I think it's an experiential knowledge. Yes. Nobody can tell you about it. So the teachers, the scriptures, they have to lead you within yourself mm -hmm. and you have to experience. It's not something that can be learned through books. They can be, so for example, you know, it's like, imagine you're in a forest and you have to find your way out. So a teacher or a scripture can work as a GPS that allows you to find your way out. But ultimately, you can also find out your way out yourself, but it'll just mm -hmm. take a little bit longer. So the truth is within you, but the external tools are a way to, to allow you to access that truth in a faster way. And so when you're exploring the truth, when you're exploring this experiential path, we, might, we cannot use the logic of the mind to try and understand it, right? So there's something called uh, Kudarka logic, which is sort of base logic, which is essentially uh, love is blind, God is love, so therefore God is blind. <laughs> so the thing mm -hmm. is we use logic that makes sense to our mind, but ultimately reaches a false conclusion. So in the same way, if we try and use logic to understand the spiritual path, we'll never understand it properly. So we must use something called Taraka logic, which is the analogy is given, a balloon goes to the sky and says, how can I be like you? And the sky says, expand, expand, expand. And the balloon says, if I expand too much, then I'll burst. And the sky says, well, that's the way that you can be like me. Mm -hmm. And so for, from a logical standpoint, it seems, oh, that doesn't make sense. But there is a deeper understanding of that's the only way to mm -hmm. ultimately attain the truth is you have to go within yourself. Because right? the answers are not outside. 
teachers can come, teachings can come, practices can come, but they're all ultimately leading you to go inside of yourself and to experience that truth for yourself. Absolutely. Beautifully said. And I love that, that story. Absolutely. And you were actually saying about logic and the mind. And, you know, we, we touched upon this a little bit before, but it really is important. You've often spoken about how important it is and the most important journey is really heart, uh, mind to heart. It's a short distance, but often it takes a very long time. And that, you know, we talk a lot about this on the show about how things connect, being mm -hmm. able to really um, hold ourselves in integrity in our heart, mind, body, and spirit, and not be disassociated from one piece mm -hmm. or another. Because if, let's say if you're too, you know, let's say it's all spirit, then it's nothing is actually practical or grounded. We cannot really affect change. It becomes, life becomes untenable. Or if one gets obviously too much in the mind, then something, you know, which is what you described, let's say we can logic something to death. And it really will lead to it will lead to an annihilation. It will need to lead to something that doesn't actually um, fulfill. It doesn't actually answer the question, what we're trying to understand. And so, um, yeah, would love to hear more from you about that journey and how important it is. As you said, it's, it's a relatively short journey, but it can take an entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. My spiritual teacher says it's that internal pilgrimage that all of us have to go through. So as we walk this path, it becomes very, very dangerous because if we let our mind get too wild, it can make us very ungrounded. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a, a concept of escapism. So rather than understanding when the time is to transition, we do it out of a space of fear or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we give up everything and we go into a cave, but it's not really meant for us to do that because there's still lessons to be learned from being in this world. Mm -hmm. And so it's the path is not necessarily a linear path. It takes a lot of twists and turns, and we must always be aware of that mind. And so for me, I try and practice what we call the three S's, which is sadhana, seva, and sangha. So what these words mean is seva means selfless service. So it's taking a little bit of time every day to do some type of selfless service, right? It doesn't mean necessarily going to, I give food to a homeless person. It doesn't have to do that, but it could be just helping somebody without asking for anything in return. So this is a tradition that we see in ashrams in India. You go and you do some type of seva or service. You don't get paid for it but you do it as a way to serve the community. And the seva, it said, it helps you to keep grounded. It doesn't mm -hmm. allow you to fly because you're doing work. You're using mm -hmm. the intellect, you're using the body, you're using something or another to be of service to others. That's an important thing, seva, to try and do something of service uh, once in a while. That will keep you grounded. Now, sadhana is your practice. So it is the daily practice that you must do that will help you to get more and more into the realization of who you are. 
it's said that you can meditate for 20 years, mm -hmm. but if you don't do it consistently, you can still be considered a beginner. So it's important to have a spiritual practice that you're doing it on a consistently basis. No matter what happens, if things go up or down, you have that practice, 10, 15 minutes, and you do it every day. So for me, I offer something called the Vedic Mantra Chanting. You know, for those mm -hmm. listening, they could go on the website and they can see a, a video explaining it. And this is something Julian is also partaking in, where we do this chanting every day for 15 minutes a day, um, constantly. So sadhana is very important. The last is Sangha, which is community. And this is what we mm -hmm. spoke about a little bit earlier. So being and surrounding yourself with the right type of community also allows you to stay humble, right? Because in, in that space, the community will point out your flaws that you might not see. Mm -hmm. Because one of the easiest things to do on a spiritual path is to judge. That one of the hardest things is to look at ourselves. So the Sangha is there to help us remind us, hey, what are some of the things that we have to look at? What are the, some of the things that we work on? And they give us that strength to continue to walk the path. And they are mirrors so, for us. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the Sangha also involves the spiritual teacher, which is also a huge role in, in my life, as, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I try and practice this three S's um, every day, Seva, Sadhana, Sangha. And if we're able to do that, that will help us to make that journey from the mind to the heart uh, in a shorter duration. Thank you for that. That is very, very helpful and supportive and actually very practical um, information as well. Since the time, I would say, when you have started walking the eternal path, what are some of the people you've encountered, stories that you can share that will be helpful for people? Because um, oftentimes we people consider spirituality as something, oh, we'll do it as I'll think about it when I'm not so busy when I'm on holiday, you know, I'm a weekend spiritualist, but day to day, I've got to be nose to the grindstone. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to feed the family. And whereas what people don't realize is how practical spirituality actually is and can be and how we can actually live it day to day. And it's not sort of an extra layer of something we have to add and then becomes a burden. It actually helps us alleviate so much um, what we actually have to face and also helps revitalizes us and re-energizes us in a way and nourish us in a way in our daily activities so that it's incredibly helpful and um, uplifting for us. And I would love for you to, to share stories or mm -hmm. anything on that. Absolutely, you know, I think um, we had spoken about this before the main sort of teaching that I, I usually travel all, all around the world to, to speak about is the Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. Why I find the Gita so beautiful and so applicable is exactly what you said. It's a teaching that allows us to integrate some of these deeper insights into our current reality that we live in. It's not about uh, running away, but how can I use these spiritual tools, these spiritual insights and apply it in my day-to-day, -day, how can I be the best mother, the best father, the best dentist, the best monk, uh, the best lawyer that I can be applying these spiritual insights? And when we look at the Gita, what we see is that there's a warrior. 
is in the middle of a battlefield. His duty is to fight, but he's confused. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say before we go into the Gita to just, mm -hmm. if we could just share quickly what the Bhagavad Gita is, which is an ancient scripture and part of the Mahabharata. Yes. Uh, I think it would be helpful to give absolutely, yeah, absolutely. people a yeah. little bit of context, I give please. Talks Gita. Sometimes I just sort of skip over uh, <laughs> the context of it. But yes, so it's given in uh, the Gita is 700 verses that's uh, mm -hmm. given by uh, well, who some consider to be an avatar of the supreme consciousness that takes form into this material reality. Mm -hmm. And it's given the setting is in a battlefield where there is a war that is happening between two sides of the same family. And the story of these two families are written in this great scripture called the Mahabharat. And within that is the 700 verses that Krishna gives to this warrior Arjuna on the battlefield. And so here, Arjuna, he's confused about his duty. He doesn't understand should he fight, should he not. And so Krishna starts to give the teachings that helps him, encourages him to fight, but at the same time, understand the spiritual aspects of why he is fighting, of what he is doing. So many people look at that and they say, oh, you know, there's fighting, there's war. It's not about that. The deeper symbology is that that battle represents everybody's life. And Arjuna represents each one of us. And it's that battle that we are continuously fighting in this world to understand who are we? What is the truth? Because a lot of the times it's said that most of us are confused about our duty. We're confused about should we go left? Should we go right? What should we do? Should I quit? Should I continue? How do I do my duty properly? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? Now, what is the point of being a dentist and doing the nine to five for 20 years? What, why is that? And so the Gita tells us, don't run away from your duty, but start to apply the teachings within the Gita and to what you're doing. And that will help you to find peace with what, where you are in life. And so Arjuna represents each one of us who is confused about our duty. And Krishna represents that true self, that divine self that acts as a reminder through scriptures, through teachers, through life about how to properly do our actions. And so in that way, it's such an applicable teaching that I see so many people can, can use in their day-to-day -day, uh, life because many people, as you rightfully put it, put it, they say, oh, spirituality is something that recreational spirituality mm -hmm. right it's something that I, i'll do on the weekends after i finish my job but it's how do i do my job and apply the spiritual aspects into it so i can find peace so then it doesn't become anymore oh i have to wait for saturday or sunday to be happy it's <laughs> i can be happy starting monday nine o'clock in the morning and go all the way through saturday sunday and then back the next day so that's, a, that's an important aspect of the Gita that I really love to, um, to speak about and to, and to teach. And, um, and it's so applicable. You know, I, I, and I think, yeah, so I could share some also some nice stories of, of uh, how it's been here in New York City as well, if you like. Yes, that would, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, some, it's a point 
that bears some some emphasis because you know this is this is why you know this show is is here is because it is about connecting the dots for people it's not something out there it's something within us and that we always have access to if we desire to and the ways that we can access it are so many yes. and you just described one way but really um there is so much foundationally it's it's still the same in the sense that it really is through our hearts and it's like how do we then make that connection within ourselves and there's an enormous amount of acceptance and forgiveness as well that then and compassion that actually results from that because you start to see the world in a very different way and absolutely you know and um please yeah i would love to i think everyone would love to hear some of the stories of modern city folk <laughs> encountering you and what happens yeah you know i think i can share two stories uh, they're both relating to the homeless actually which is mm -hmm. quite interesting i've learned a lot from my seva um mm -hmm. uh, to to uh, to the homeless uh, and you know a lot of people think that i'm helping but in reality i've learned so much from them that i'm forever grateful for the teachings that they've taught me about how to live a spiritual life mm -hmm. and i remember when i first came to new york there's an event called navaratri which is a celebration of the divine mother uh, for nine nights and so in the ashram we do um, you know a lot of rituals and pujas and and celebrations celebrating this beauty of the divine mother and so in new york um, of course, I wasn't able to do that. So the first night, there's a beautiful statue of Mother Mary that was right where um, I was staying. And, and of course, as we say, all of the traditions, religions, in essence, it's, it's just two words, right? It's just love. That's mm -hmm. it. That's, that's the essence mm -hmm. of all traditions and religions, just love. This is also the motto of my spiritual teacher, just love. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter if you choose to view the Divine Mother in the form of Kali, Mother Mary, or whatever for luxury, whatever form that mm -hmm. you want, you know, so be it. Right. So I saw her in the form of Mother Mary, because that's what was available to me. That was the form available to me in that moment. So the first night of Navaratri, I take a rose and I go and I give the rose to the statue and I pray and says, you know, Divine Mother, please. Love, you know, show your um, grace and mercy and, you know, thank you for everything. And I did a small little prayer and I finished and I went for a little walk around the church to come back. After the prayer was over, I come back. And when I'm back, I see a homeless man in front of the statue. And he has his pants down and he's urinating all over the statue, all over the rose, all over everything that I had just done there as a prayer. And I saw this. And in this moment, I became very, very angry. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, why did I leave the ashram? Why did I come to New York City? Nobody here cares about the Divine Mother. Nobody here cares about spirituality. It was all a big mistake. And so I was feeling this frustration. And I look up at the statue and I see the Divine Mother smiling and laughing. And I could feel the, the love that she had for this homeless man that was there urinating in front of her. And I started to realize that the Divine Mother, divinity is in everybody, right? 
everybody is divine and love flows the same to every single person, the criminal or the saint, the love, the divinity is all the same. And so one of the main paths, one of the main things that we have to see is to learn to see that divinity in each person even though we have that mind that judges, that mind that separates, mm -hmm. to understand that that love flows equally to all beings all throughout the universe. So that was definitely an interesting and powerful lesson that I learned uh, when I first came to New York City. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, tell us actually, I know you have this beautiful seva practice every week in which you mentioned, I was mentioning earlier, you also have the City of Light project, mm -hmm, which, mm -hmm. um, can you tell us about more about that? Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So the City of Light project is, um, is a project to help build a physical space that um, where people can come and do Om chantings, which is a particular mm -hmm. uh, practice that I'm currently doing in New York City in Central Park and other places. It's also a place that people can come and learn deeper about Eastern traditions and philosophies, and then also stay for an extended period of time, whether it's three weeks to a month to two months, and then go back into the world. Because I mm -hmm. think a lot of the times, as we said, the path of the monk is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. But to spend some time in that energy is important because it's like a, it's a charger that charges up your battery and then you can go back into the world and do your duty and not let all of the things affect you. You become much stronger. The light is stronger. And so right now, now that I've sort of left the ashram and I've come to, to the States and I've been here for the last six months, we're looking to create a space that we're calling sort of the city of light, mm -hmm. um, somewhere in the New York City area, uh, which can be a space for people to come and visit and have those experiences. Beautiful. And you actually just reminded me of another conversation we had, which is how um, we talk a lot about polarity. Mm -hmm. And especially right now when there's a lot of people um, a lot of extremism happening and a lot of existing polarities seeming like they're actually becoming even more polarized. The City of Light project, it's so helpful. Like we all need that nourishing. We all need that reminding. And besides our personal practices, having a space to do that and having a space with you, you know, it would be amazing, especially in this, in order to keep to take the grounding that we develop within ourselves into the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you said also, we, we had a earlier discussion about this, but I think people need to, to, in some ways, be aware that polarity won't disappear. This is the mm -hmm. world that we live in. This is the plane of earth, of the third dimensional plane that we're in. Duality. And is duality exactly and it's not even about it's never about so sort of wiping out the other side because then we fall into the same cycle of samsara it's the same thing again of trying to domineer somebody else and you're again out of that heart frequency we're out of that unity consciousness so the 
understanding that I feel is so helpful for people is to come into the awareness that, guess what? This is the world of duality and we're here to learn through that. Yeah, you know, I think, as you said, it's when we understand that this world is dualistic in nature, mm -hmm. we try and not make the world perfect, but we just try our best to spread the light inside of us as much mm -hmm. as possible. And some of the greatest beings, some of the greatest people that have had the, the most profound impacts on this world, they didn't set out saying, I have to change the world. I have to do this or that. They just continue to be in their light. And that freely allowed them to make things happen. Things happened around them. They were in connection with the will of the divine and things started to work out. But when we have that go into that mindset that everything has to be perfect, mm -hmm. then we're, we're, we're obstructed right before we even start because we start to make judgments. Because what we have to understand is the light of the divine shines equally on a mirror and on a rock. There's no difference. So if we're to look at the sun, the rays of the sun shines equally on a mirror or a rock. Mm -hmm. But the mirror has the ability to take the rays and reflect it back out while the rock doesn't. In the same way, the love of the divine flows equally to all human beings. There's not one better or the other. Mm -hmm. But as we grow more on the spiritual path, we have more of the ability to take that love and reflect it back out. And just that reflection brings about the change without us necessarily having to do more than that. Mm -hmm. And that reflection, that light will guide us, let us flow, and we'll start to understand what should I should do. Should I go left? Should I go right? Should mm -hmm. I do this? Should I do that? Not from the mind, but intuitively understand it. And you're guided by a higher force. And that's when you have the capability to really bring an impact to this world. And with that, may we all become beings of light in a city of light in a world of light and to learn more about the city of light project and more about your chanting classes i mean chanting sessions rather should we should people go to your website rishi.love l-o-v-e yes simple rishi.love <laughs> amazing and i'll put that in in the show notes of course and please follow rishi um on instagram at rishi underscore chitananda and um, Rishi Chidananda on Clubhouse as well, because you have a few rooms that you're also doing regularly there. Thank you. Yeah, and um, actually, um, aside from, because we do one, which is called the Wisdom Project mm -hmm. um, on Clubhouse, and there, can you mention some of the other ones that you do? Sure, I, I do a few rooms called uh, just the Bhagavad Gita. So uh, ancient knowledge for the modern world, and then another one called uh, the Bhagavad Gita for uh, millennials as well. So um, I have a few rooms and, uh, and of course we do the wisdom project together as well, mm -hmm. where we tackle various spiritual topics. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, is there anything you'd like to add, Rishi? I uh, know that's, uh, uh, I think that's it. Thank you so much for taking Thank the you. time to connect. It was lovely to, to speak with you. Thank you so much, Rishi, for being on the show. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. I would be so appreciative if you would rate the show and leave a comment. I also invite you to join our Patreon community for exclusive content and to connect more directly. Learn more at howthingsconnect.com. Take care and stay tuned.